Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert with my co-host, Sports Radio 610, Shad Bajani. Later in the show, our takes on the Rockets early preseason. But joining us now to preview the Texan Saints game Sunday is David Grubb, the host of the Believe in Saints podcast, part of the Believe Network. And thanks so much for giving us a few minutes, David. Glad to talk to you guys. Hey, David, the Saints beat up on the Patriots 34 to nothing. What part of that was a Saints step forward and what part was just New England being bad, a bad football team? Well, I think the step forward was that they scored. Uh, uh, you know, they haven't put up 34 points, that many points in, in since in 15 games. And it's been a pretty consistent problem throughout Dennis Allen's career. Uh, he's never had a team average. 21 points for a season. So them getting to 34 points was a minor miracle when we kind of think about the Saints and and what the offense has been since Dennis Allen took over. So that, the fact that they ran the ball more than 30 times, something they have not really done well this season, was also encouraging. Um, But overall, it felt more like a game where the Saints did what they were supposed to do against a really bad team on the road rather than the ship is corrected. Uh, David, let, let's stick with the Saints offense uh, for a second because I had a chance to catch up with uh, Texans defensive coordinator uh, Matt Burke earlier today, and we were asking him a lot about what the Falcons showed their defense last weekend offensively, and he said, look, they did a little bit more pre-snap motion, showed us some different looks that we hadn't observed on tape. What have you observed Observed from the Saints through the first five weeks in terms of what they're starting to do offensively, how comfortable Carr is in that system. And from a pre-snap motion standpoint, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're amongst the very top of teams in the league right now that are showing a lot of that window dressing. Finally, they kind of really amped it up last week. Um, At the beginning of the season, there was a lot of criticism that the offense wasn't doing enough to make the defense adjust. Um, that was a big uh, criticism of Pete Carmichael. We saw a lot more motion against the Patriots, but the offense still hasn't been productive. I mean, quite frankly, Derek Carr has been less than impressive. You go through five games and we're looking at four touchdown passes, three interceptions. Uh, the completion percentage is decent, but it's been a lot of checkdowns. Uh, we didn't have Alvin Kamara to start the first three games of the season. He's been back the last two. He's one of the most versatile backs in the league when he's really going well. He ran the ball 20 times for 80 yards last week, but three catches for 13 yards, that's not going to cut it. And in two weeks, he's got 16 catches for for 50 yards. So, you know, he's averaging three yards a catch. That's not enough. The outside receivers have not gotten a lot of uh, catches uh, as of late. Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid, six total catches the last two weeks. So this offense still has a long way to go. The tight ends haven't really gotten involved yet. There's just a lot of work to be done there. Uh, so I think the Falcons at least have a little bit more of an identity. They knew what they wanted to be coming into the season. The Saints are trying to still trying to figure theirs out, and uh, it's been difficult. You're in year two of head coach Dennis Allen. What's been the good and the bad for him so far? The best thing has certainly been the defensive consistency. Um, since Dennis Allen reassumed the duties as defensive coordinator and now as the head coach, the Saints have been one of the better defensive teams in the league. Last year, they weren't as great. Uh, yardage-wise, but they were still top 10 in points allowed. They're right there again this year as a team that does not give up a lot of points. They occasionally have trouble getting off the field on third downs, but other than that, that's been the thing that's that's held this team together is the quality of the defense. The biggest problem for him has been 
He has not really had a message that's resonated offensively. He's not really grown into the role of the head coach yet. I think if you compared him to another Sean Payton assistant, there's not a great big long tree for Sean Payton. But if you look at a guy like Dan Campbell, who who spent you know some good years as the tight ends coach in New Orleans, the thing that he talks about that he took from Sean was the the, the willingness to go for stuff. When your gut says go for it, do it, and sometimes that backfires for him. The criticism, I think, the main criticism for Dennis Allenby that he never really goes with his gut, that he's overly conservative, that he rarely takes chances, and I think that that with an explosive skill position set of players that the Saints have, I think that that has hurt them. Well, it's kind of polar opposites, you know, to some regard, the way you're describing Dennis Allen in the defense compared to D'Amico Ryan's in the Texans' defense, uh, certainly from a structural standpoint and uh, mentality, but. Uh, sticking with the defense a little bit, David, if we can, a lot of people I think around Houston are a little concerned with uh, what the Falcons took away from the Texans offense this past weekend. The, the two safeties showing the shelves over the top, putting the extra man into coverage, not bringing a lot of rush, particularly on third downs. And since the Saints have struggled to get off the field on third downs, as you said, what's kind of the conversation uh, around the Saints this week in terms of how confident or not confident they may be in facing a Texans offense, in particular a quarterback like C.J. Stroud who's playing pretty well. The thing for the Saints is always stop the run first. Um, when they when they you know dominate at, at the point of attack on the line of scrimmage, they make it much harder for opponents because they do have cornerback-wise, I think the Saints have one of the best set of three corners in the league. And Alante Taylor is really growing into his role. Teron Matthew, who Texans fans are certainly familiar with from his his, uh, brief stay with them, he's been allowed to make more plays this year. That's his strength. We know coverage is not really his strength. He's much more of a guy who who goes by instinct. The the Saints do miss Marcus May, who is still serving. uh, This will be the third week of his suspension, so the third final week of his suspension. So that that, um, is an area of concern that maybe you can test them downfield. You, know, uh, you saw at the end of the Packers game, the Patriots obviously are an offensive mess, but you saw at the end of the Packers game, go back to that fourth quarter where the Saints gave up that lead and lost the game there, 18 points in the fourth quarter. They were giving up chunk plays through the air. So when the Saints rush doesn't get home, um, and they've been heavily relying on Carl Grandison in particular to get there, you do have opportunities to get over the top with the Saints and make big plays. That's been... Uh, their biggest weakness. And I think, again, if you can get into space, you can challenge their linebackers. Demario Davis, as good as he is, and he's one of the top-rated linebackers in the NFL, but he's a little bit slower at 36 than he was three years ago at 33. Pete Werner is an undersized linebacker, makes tackles. You won't get past him, but he has a tendency because of his size to hit guys two or three yards past the line of scrimmage. So that'll be the big thing for the Saints is that is really that front four. Uh, and how well they control the line of scrimmage. Real quick, if I can, Robert, I just wanted to follow up on that with you, David, because I I think it's so interesting. I I think we're in store for a hell of a game on Sunday between these two teams. Uh, Just listening to you talk and and reading what I have the last couple of days leading into this game, the the first pass that the Texans threw down the field, if you will, was that touchdown strike from Stroud to Schultz 
uh, late in the fourth quarter. That was one pass the entire game that they'd attempted more than 20 yards down the field. And that's been a little criticism from Bobby Sloak or for Bobby Sloak, rather, their offensive coordinator, is that he hadn't really shown a willingness to go down the field, particularly in that Falcons game. He's been very measured, very calculated. Do you think there's an opportunity there for the Texans and C.J. Stroud to kind of strike uh, and take advantage of a, of a Saints secondary and lack of a pass rush? Yeah, I mean, you know, the last time these teams played what was in New Orleans, um, season opener a couple years ago, the Texans were able to make some plays there, uh, getting downfield. And also, Deshaun Watson was able to run and get outside of the pocket. C.J. Stroud is certainly capable of doing that. And the Saints at times have struggled against mobile quarterbacks who can get on the edge. Uh, and I think that, that yeah, if, if the Texans take shots, set them up, you, you can take advantage. Because the other part is Marshawn Lattimore, for as talented as he is, and he, talent-wise, he's one of the top corners in the NFL. He can take games off when he's not impressed by the guy who's opposite, to, opposite him. So if he doesn't feel challenged by the other receiver, he may not give, his, give 100%. So the Saints defense, as good as it is, there are ways to attack it. In week one against the Titans, uh, I was surprised that the Saints gave up on uh, that the Titans gave up on the run as quickly as they did because they did get some big chunk plays in the first half. You can you can physically uh, wear this team down. It's not the biggest defense, uh, but teams teams that they've played have not really been suited to do that as of yet. You surprised that the Saints are a point and a half favorite right now? The only reason they are is because they have a winning record. You know, uh, the Saints have been a 50-50 team basically by the odds makers all season long. They've not been more than a three-point favorite in any game, and they were underdogs last week going into New England. So I'm at this point, I'm, I'm firmly in the camp that from week to week the Saints are a 50-50 proposition until they show and demonstrate that they can score points consistently. Last week does not feel like, you know, hey, we're going to see a string of 30-point games. I just I, I don't feel that way yet. You know, you know how the NFL is. If you're not scoring 24 points consistently in this league, you don't really have a chance of being a, a contender. And they have not done that yet. Momentum's a hell of a thing. I, I do know that. Putting up 34 on the Patriots. You, you can kind of look at it as like, hey, you know what? The Saints did what they were supposed to do. And then putting up that zero defensively, hey, the Saints did what they were supposed to do. Let's build on that. And I think looking back at that Texans-Falcons game, the Saints should probably feel pretty good about it. I'm kind of perplexed, though, because I don't know what to think. You put a gun to my head, I think this is going to be a battle on Sunday between these two teams. But going back, I don't know if you guys had an opportunity to listen to Dan Orlovsky in his breakdown of the top five teams in the NFL. It was earlier today. And the Saints weren't a part of it. And he caught all kinds of hell. Uh, and he did a pretty solid job of defending his case, but he wanted to put the Saints up there, you know, right behind, uh, you know, the Chiefs, the Lions, the 49ers, Dallas Cowboys he had ahead of the Saints. And he was like, hey, man, the Saints are probably right there in that tier two, you know, argument just based on what they can become. And I think. They have the pieces. You mentioned Chris Olave. I asked Matt Burke earlier today about Chris Olave and how dangerous could he be? And he was like, Pfft. I mean, he's probably the most dangerous player that they have. I mean, do you see it that way? Do you feel like he's right there on the precipice of helping this offense kind of go to the next level? Yeah, he's he's got legitimate, you know, receiver one talent and top 10 receiver ability in this league. Um, I think it's, he's having a difficult time adjusting to not being the guy because Michael Thomas is back now. Last year, it was his show. 
you know, there was no one really else to throw to in that offense other than him. And this year, teams are certainly playing him differently. Derek Carr learning this offense, incorporating new guys, the offensive line struggles, all those things. He's been kind of frustrated. You've seen it on his face and in, and in, and in his, uh, his body language the last couple of weeks. Alvin Kamara was frustrated. So, yeah, I think the Saints, the, the, the best part for them is down the road. And they're very fortunate that they've had the schedule that they've had early in the season because they've gotten to go up against a number of rebuilding teams and younger quarterbacks. So, yeah, they're not at their best now. If they stay healthy, they solve this offensive line problem. They're probably a top five team in the NFC, but they're definitely a cut below when you're talking San Francisco, Detroit. Maybe we're talking about Dallas. I mean, the Eagles, obviously, and maybe Dallas, too. But I think they're a cut below that group. We are familiar with the Carr family here in Houston. Derek played high school ball in Houston. His brother, obviously, was the Texans' first quarterback. What was the fans' reaction and your reaction when the Saints went after Derek Carr? Because, you know, you, you feel like with some of these quarterbacks, you get in that quarterback hell to where you've got a median quarterback and you either are a medium team or you can't draft that quarterback that takes you to the next level. That's where I fell. Because um, quite frankly, I feel like the Saints are, they made a mistake in not having an exit plan for Drew Brees by trying to keep that offense the same as the defense was ascending. I felt they needed more of a, a team that was more physical, get back to a ground attack and, and use Drew more judiciously, kind of like the way the, the Broncos did with Peyton Manning, you know, at the end of his career. Rely on your defense, make us enough plays to win games. Jameis obviously didn't work out due to injury and some other things. And there was some, uh, certainly it feels like there's a philosophical conflict between him and Dennis Allen. You bring in Derek Carr, who has only had a top 10 offense twice in his career, as far as points go. So with three different offensive coordinators, you know, I, I, I don't put a lot of stock in Pro Bowls anymore. And I think you guys would probably feel the same. Everybody gets to the Pro Bowl because nobody goes to the Pro Bowl anymore. Uh, so I don't really put a, st- a lot of stock in those. And You've seen times with the Raiders, they're they're not significantly worse without Derek Carr. They're not significantly different without Derek Carr. I feel he is a middle-of-the-road quarterback, and you look at what the type of quarterback talent that's been available in the draft, not only last year, but what's going to be available this year, the Saints would have been in a much better position, I think, this season being a 4-13 and team uh, in that type of range and getting that quarterback of the future, a Caleb Williams, uh, Bo Nix, whomever we're talking about, Michael Penix, whomever. And you could have your guy in place because you missed out on Patrick Mahomes, who they wanted to get. You missed out on a couple of other guys that the Saints really had targets on in the past. I don't think that you can keep doing that. And I don't see Derek Carr as the kind of quarterback who's going to win you a Super Bowl past the age of 30. You know, most of, yeah. most of your quarterbacks who win, win before the age of 30 not after. And I don't see him having the type of, you know, Rich Gannon trajectory, you know, late career, um, you know, surge to where he becomes all pro. I just don't see that. And Derek Carr, I think we know what he is. He's an okay quarterback. And when the pressure gets to him, we know he, he can start checking down. And for the last four years in a row, his yards, air yards per attempt and his yards per attempt have all gone down. David, it's uh, going to be – it's interesting. Uh, again, I think this is uh, – the, the spread is correct. You know, what is it, point, point and a half going in to Sunday. And we've talked about things that the Texans and Saints, you know, are kind of polar opposites in. 
I think red zone is another area where the Saints offensively, they're pretty middling, maybe bottom of the league in terms of success with the red zone. Texans are the same way. What do you think ultimately this game on Sunday comes down to? What's what's the difference maker here? Win, lose, or? It's going to be turnovers. Mm. The Saints have been getting turnovers the last few weeks. Obviously, uh, C.J. Stroud hasn't thrown a pick yet, but he has a couple of fumbles. So last week, there were a couple of balls. I think that PFF talked about uh, that, that yeah. should, have been, should have been picked off. The Saints have been relying on those turnovers to set them up with shorter fields. They got a touchdown off of Teron Matthew pick last week. They needed those turnovers. Winning the turnover battle has been huge for them because of their inability to sustain drives. And then I think also you look at the kicking game, Blake Groupie as a rookie, he's only missed one kick so far this season and has already made a number of kicks from beyond 50. So if this does come down to a one possession game, the Saints do feel confident in their field goal kicker. Punting game, not so much. You know, that's been a, a mixed bag, but. I think the Saints feel very confident in their field goal kicker. And then, yeah, I think turnovers are going to be the if, – if they can get a, an interception, that changes everything, I think, mentally for C.J. Stroud. Because until you get yeah. that first one in the NFL, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's – you can live a little dangerously, but it's you know it's coming. As a rookie, you know it's coming. They're going to get it eventually. And I think that if the Saints get one early, it could really change the uh, the tone of the game. I think it's a good observation. I'd forgotten the Saints, I think, are amongst the leaders in the league with turnovers created at nine, seven interceptions. Seven interceptions so far yeah, they've been opportunistic, there. and it, it might be perfect storm. I don't know. Um, some people around here just want CJ to get the interception over with, you know, throw the damn thing already. But uh, I am not in that group. Uh, as clean as you could stay for as long as possible, that's the thing. But we were just talking about taking shots down the field, it feels like. You know, Bobby Slowick could very well do that just in an effort for nothing else to try and open up the run game for the Texans, which has struggled mightily. You don't want to abandon the run game against the Saints. Don't make don't make it one dimensional if you're trying to beat them. I mean, that you're just making it much easier. You look at a guy like Cam Jordan, backside of his career, DeMar Davis again. The Saints were able to limit New England to 51 plays last week. That's an incredibly low number for an NFL game. If they get into that upper 60s, 70s range, it's a much different ball game. So I think you don't want to abandon the run if you're playing against them, and you want to, you, you want to extend your drives. But, yeah, take some shots because I think the safety's position is a place where you, you, the Saints could you know, be vulnerable. Would be very shocked if this game wasn't a close game. Uh, but, yeah, there, that could be the recipe that what Sean was talking about with the interceptions. It could be a recipe for Stroud's first uh, INT this year. We'll see what happens with that. But just remind people before you go about your show and how to connect with you on social media, and even in case some of the Texans fans want to reach out to you, maybe ask a question or something. Yeah, you can check uh, Believe in Saints wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube on the Believe Network. And uh, you can also find me at DM Grub on X and um, Instagram. And you can also check uh, on WBOK 1230 AM in New Orleans four days a week. Awesome. That's great stuff. Great stuff, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to the game. And uh, I think it's just going to be crazy in Houston this weekend. Uh, you know, the, uh, the inner interstate baseball game, uh, uh, ALCS starting up on Sunday as well. Yeah. And I spent a lot of my childhood at the Astrodome um, watching those teams. And uh, so, uh, definitely uh, excited about uh, about this series as well. It's gonna be great. Absolutely. Thanks, David. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. guys. For having me. All right, good stuff. 
Yeah, fantastic stuff from David. And uh, before we hit the rocket, Sean, a couple of quick Texans notes I want to get. Just your reaction a little bit. Josh Jones back on full participation. Is there any chance Titus goes back to right tackle and Jones plays left guard this week? You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say zero chance this week. I started to say small percentage because I think it's largely contingent on Juice Scruggs whenever he makes his way back. And he's just not been seen on a practice field, even in the locker room, not since early last week. Uh, when I did see him last week, it seemed like he was moving around okay, you know, in good spirits. But we just haven't seen him on the practice field. And I think it's largely contingent uh, on his return. And I say that because he played a little left guard during training camp. The Texans obviously need one, and they feel like Fant's done a serviceable enough job at right tackle that they need a dude that at least has some experience and, you know, can move people with an injured hand, albeit, you know, in Titus Howard still, like it's not 100%, right? But at least he has some help on the interior, and he has some help on his left-hand side, which is Laramie Tunsil, uh, who was back at practice today. So I think they're just going to roll with that as long as Laramie's healthy. And I think they're load managing him as best that they possibly can. He practiced today. I, we'll see what happens tomorrow. It's Friday, so it's an important day for him. But it's probably going to be Tunsil, Howard, Patterson, Mason, and Fant going into the uh, Saints game. If anything changes, I wouldn't anticipate it until next week. I asked the question because the Texans can't run the football. And I don't know what your feeling is. Is Titus better as a run blocking right tackle than George Fant? Because the guard, it's it's not good any way you go. Josh Jones, Titus Howard, what you got right now is not good. You're kind of waiting for Scruggs to come back. Maybe move Patterson over to left guard. Maybe, you know, have Scruggs play left guard. So what do you think? Is Titus a better Run blocking, right tackle? Well, I think it's a good question. I'm so glad you asked because it's really difficult to say. If you have any opinion on it whatsoever, you'd have to go back to the preseason before Titus broke his hand. And I don't even know if the did, did the Texans get a chance to play a preseason game before Titus broke his hand. Um, they might have played one. And I say that because, look, a couple of different things here. Titus Howard, yeah, he's played left guard before and it didn't go so well back in 2020. 2020, 2021, whatever it was, right? Had a run blocking grade of like 45 then. Had a run blocking grade of 54 this past week, um, depending on how much stock you put into pro football focus and their grades. I mean, I think just going by the eye test in that grade, it's probably pretty accurate. But George Fant as a run blocker, it's bad, man. I I don't like it. I don't know what his grade was. I think it might have been 60 if I'm remembering correctly. But I, I think that's even a little more favorable than I would have given him. I, I went back and I looked. Granted, I just looked at the first half against the Falcons game, and I only looked at the plays that stood out to me in terms of what I felt should have ended in a better result. So basically, I took out the best plays, and I only looked at the bad ones. And that was anything from the Tank Dell little end-around jet sweep kind of things, the six-yard loss, the five-yard loss, Damian Pierce, no gain, stuff like that, all from the first half. And ultimately what it comes down to is not really the movement at all from anyone on the offensive line, but it's just sticking with your blocks and then knowing who to go key on. And I noticed a few things, Fant getting blown up uh, on a couple of them, one, not even engaging, and that just told me that he didn't know who to take. 
he didn't know who to block in that instance. And it was a bunch trips right set with uh, two tight ends and a slot receiver, your wide out and a bunch set. Uh, he didn't know who to block. Another one was with Beck in there, and the Texans presumably were asking Tank Dell, who at the time was lined up in the slot in the bunch set, to go key on a middle linebacker, and Beck was supposed to get the safety. It's a hard ask for anybody, never mind somebody that's 5'8", 165 pounds, to go key on a middle linebacker and crash down on him, but that according to the play design and what I watched about 10 times at nauseum. Or you said back, you met tank, right? Tank was supposed to get him. You said, no, back. tank was supposed to get him. Yeah. Yeah. You back said back. I'm just, was, yeah. Back yeah, was there said, too. There was two guys to get, according to the play design, you go back and watch tank was supposed to get the mic and Beck was supposed to climb up and get the safety. Uh, I'm sorry. They, that's what happened. Tank went and got the mic. Beck climbed up and tried to get the safety, which he didn't because he stumbled. Uh, it should have been Tank getting the safety and Beck getting the mic. That didn't happen. So they were not on the same page on that play. And so when you talk about this run game, it really comes down to executing their blocks and knowing who to key on. I don't think it's Damian Pierce. Granted, it's just the first half. And even that last series – Texans wouldn't have had an opportunity for wouldn't for Damian Pierce getting some hard fought yardage. But I just think ultimately it's, it's a conglomeration of a, a lot of things. Maybe the line, maybe the blocking, maybe the assignments, maybe they're keying in on wrong guys. And look, Pierce even missed one too, where he'd press the right edge and should have cut it back. Didn't stayed committed to it and got stuff for a no gain. Uh, that tells me that he's just not seeing the whole field. He's not understanding where guys are. He's maybe not understanding who's going to be blocked, who's supposed to be blocked, who is being blocked. All right, let's go a little under the radar. Good thing from the Texans. And <clears throat> let's go to a friend of the show, former guest, Blake Cashman. He has a 91.1 pro football focus grade. Sean, he's the highest graded linebacker in the NFL right now. Yeah, you know why? because he's been a part of some big-time plays. It's not because, you know, he's doing an excellent job every single time of stuff in the run. It's not because he's perfect in coverage. He's been pretty good in coverage. He's probably their best coverage linebacker, to be honest Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. Point. Yeah, he's um, done a fantastic job. He's like in the – he's just – he's in the right spot at the right time. You know, he's recovered a fumble. I think he helped create a fumble. He got an interception. It's those swinging type plays that are going to earn you those grades. And, hey, ultimately, I'm not going to crush the guy for it. Knock on wood, dude's been healthy as he's been to play linebacker in this league since his rookie season with the Jets. That's huge because once upon a time ago, Blake Cashman, just another dude uh, playing for the New York Jets, he was actually pretty good in that Robert Sala system. And so having that familiarity in that sort of defense, now playing with D'Amico, understanding the kind of mentality and what they're asking their linebackers to do, the demands, he's familiar with it. He's in the right spot. He's a playmaker. He's a dude. When he's healthy, we've seen it. Special team ace under Frank Ross for the last couple of years. And so it's not surprising to me to see this dude balling out it's just, boy, can can he keep it up? Because he's had all kinds of injury issues, soft tissue mainly, throughout the course of his career. He's he's off to a terrific start. All right. I was going to ask you final thoughts on the Texans, but you know what? I'm just too excited, Sean, to talk about my Houston Rockets, who 
man, it was fun to get a first glimpse of them this year. Yeah. I know the headline was Villain Brooks doing this Villain Brooks things and getting kicked out for a groin punch. But let yeah. me just say, for the first time in three years, I saw a very organized basketball team, both ends of the court, defensive rotations. Effort was legit. No standing around looking lost on offense. No nonstop dribbling by one guy while everybody else looks lost out on the court. Yeah. What did you see, Sean? The key word was discipline, to be quite honest with you. That's what I noticed. Look, they, they took care of the basketball well. They shot the ball well. Uh, they hustled getting back to the other end of the court to prevent easy baskets. Although that first one, I think after their first two points, I forget who dunked that basketball, but it was like in the blink of an eye, bam, the Pacers were down at the other end and they got an easy one too. After that, it was just kind of like, all right, they settled in. Maybe the nerves, you know, went away a lot for these younger guys, particularly. I, I like the brand of basketball that I saw. Um, I got to be honest with you. I tuned out for like five minutes after Dylan Brooks got freaking tossed four and a half minutes into the game. I was so mad that they tossed him for that. Yeah, it was it was on purpose, but I mean, I've seen way more egregious uh, punches to the junk than what Dylan Brooks gave uh, old knucklehead. And I just it's a preseason game, four and a half minutes in, let him play. If he's not Dylan Brooks, he stays in. It's a flagrant one. But because he's Dylan Brooks, they kicked him out. So I tuned out for about five minutes. But then I was locked in, man. I heard the crowd getting rowdy in the background on the TV. And I love what I'm seeing. Fred Van Vliet. I don't know if you could have done better on the market this offseason than bringing that guy in to run the show at point. Uh, I love I love the shot selection from him. I love how the Rockets opened up opportunities from that first three. Just a simple little screen and an extra pass, and it's a great look for Van Vliet. And then off the dribble, he took some good shots in the mid-range too. The ones I saw didn't fall, uh, but they were good shots. And I, I just I want to see an extra effort in terms of gating extra possessions. That's what I felt like the Rockets left off most um, in that game. It's just preseason game number one, but I'd like to see that tenacity, that extra second and third effort to keep the ball alive and create extra possessions. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on Van Vliet, both ends of the court. It's like having an adult in the room. It's like we're off the bouncy house the last couple of years, and it's like, who's watching these kids? And Fred Van Vliet shows up, and he's like, Hey, you go there, you go there. He puts guys in the right spot. He's in his in the right place. You see him battling on defense as small as he is. He still, you know, scraps for balls. It's one of his real benefits as a player is Van Vliet gets steals. He gets his hand on balls. He gets yeah. deflections, all of those things that you're going to see that the Rockets, other players need to pick up on, not Tari Eason, because we know he knows how to do all that stuff, but the other guys can really do that. The other thing, Sean, Jabari carried over what we saw from summer league, the mm -hmm. aggression, the confidence it's on a whole other level than we saw all of last year. His ability to drive and draw free throws changes his entire ceiling. Sean, this is a total difference. If, if Jabari Smith is not just a spot up shooter that we all thought, or not, we all, some of us thought he was just going to be, but he's turned himself into somebody that can get to the free. Th if you get to the free throw line, and get you a few extra points, all of a sudden, 20 gets easy. Easy. Yeah, no doubt. Look, he had the third highest plus minus, you know, of any Rocket player the other night. Um, I thought a really good, complete game. And you talk about the ability to get to the free throw line, too. Uh, just being in position and being tough up to the basket, you know, 
uh, to get to the free throw line in those instances. Um, I thought it was huge. And the fact the Rockets, I think they nailed almost 72, 73% of their free throws the other night, which I was, you know, no, silently they, impressed with. And I don't um, know. I think they weren't that good. at Like Jalen couldn't hit a free throw. Shangun was doing terrible. No, the free throw shooting was actually, that was one of the things that was a concern. Also, not shooting a lot of threes. I think they were up around 72, 73%. I know Jabari made all of his. Yeah, I'll have to double check on that. But the other thing is, if people are you know listening to this, we're, we're recording during their second game, so that's why we're not talking about the the game against the Pelicans. But I I, I don't think I need to see much of the second game to know it just looks like a different team, and mm-hmm. I can see where yeah. this thing is going. And the other part about it is, Ahmed and Cam Whitmore look so good right now that you again, as I yeah. mentioned after Kevin Porter yeah. was gone, I said that's the best thing that could happen to the Rockets because we're going to see more. Amen and Cam Whitmore. We don't, we're not going to see a ton of them. It's not like they're all of a sudden going to be playing 35 minutes a game or something like that, but it gives us a real chance to see those two guys. And Cam's going to be, he's going to try to fight his way over Jay Sean Tate. And I know Tate's got the experience and I'm sure Udoka's going to maybe rely on that experience, but that, that, that's one of the things that he talked about in May Udoka. He said, look, there's no guarantee, Sean. There's no guarantees with any, you know, with Silas, Sometimes you just figured he would run out no matter what you did, no matter about how bad you screwed up. You, you, you're, you were playing so many minutes a night, and that was it. That's accountability. That was uh, maybe first and foremost what this uh, team, this organization needed, and you kind of knew immediately that you were going to that, – that's what you were getting. And, and the package that you were getting with Ime Hidoka, <laughs> accountability uh, for these young players, it was probably 1-1A, one one to be honest with you, and much needed. Um, it's one game. But, you know, 21 and 17 minutes, respectively, uh, for Thompson and Whitmore the other night. Whitmore, the highest plus minus out of any Rocket player, plus 21. Awesome. Um, I mean, I could totally see those guys getting 20 to 25 minutes somewhere in that range, uh, probably on the lower end, closer to 20. Um, But if they continue to play as well as they did the other night, um, my God, I mean, you know, the sky's the limit. I, I just, when you... When you look at this team, and I felt this way last year, it's just they were so underserved from a coaching and just overall handling standpoint. I, th- I just thought the they were talent rich and with a little direction, with a little accountability. Um, this is a deep team, man. I, I don't know how many teams in the league really have this type of skill set, um, you know, talent from top to bottom. And Thompson and Whitmore to Eason. Um, I mean, they just showed it to you the other night, reminded you, because a lot of people that have been following this team for the last couple of three years, I mean, they know what they got. Um, and you just needed somebody to help put the pieces together. And I think Udoka is off to a pretty solid start. I'll be just one game in the preseason. Yeah. The other thing is they picked up Reggie Bullock within the last couple of weeks. Yeah. He's a shooter. They needed shooting and I get all that. But to me, I don't want Reggie Bullock messing with, I'm in Thompson minutes or having Cam Whitmore get, get a little bit of run. Now, if Cam Whitmore can't handle it from a defensive perspective, and that's where Ime Oduk is going to judge these guys. Can Cam Whitmore handle it from a defense? And he's shown the ability, shown the willingness, too, to play defense. But that that's, that's the cool. one thing. Reggie Bullock, though, I like getting him. Just be careful with him. Jeff Green, I don't think he's going to care if he doesn't play. And I think he plays. He's like – break in case of emergency but otherwise he's like a 
you know, he's like having the, the uncle on the sideline that's going to help help everybody out. But like Reggie Bullock, yeah, I'm not I'm not big into like just because he's on the roster and he's a veteran and he could shoot that it doesn't mean I, I want him out there a bunch. No, you, you know, um, I don't I don't know if Bullock's necessarily going to fit this role, but you know, to some degree, like you mentioned, Jeff Green, he feels kind of like the Case Keenum you know, for the Rockets, like he's, yes. he's, he's the veteran, he's the mature guy in the room, you know, the leader in the locker room, the, ve- the extra voice, if you will, that's going to try to facilitate to grow, um, you know, NBA level leaders on this team, try to find out who that is. I, I think that's the mission. I think um, you're, I think you probably have a good idea, even already, if you're Jeff Green, who those guys could potentially be. Now it's just trying to facilitate that, trying to get them to expand and grow in that role. Um, I, and it's not easy. Sometimes performance, you know, it, it acts as a little bit of window dressing. I, I And I'll just a little Texan insert here. D'Amico Ryan's talking about C.J. Stroud in that fashion the other day in terms of how he's still trying to, you know, talk to him about being more vocal. I mean, we've heard C.J. Stroud and witnessed it every single week at the podium. The guy's more comfortable. Every single week, the guy's doing something different and more impressive in a game setting. Now, whether it be your Jabari Smith or your Jalen Green, uh, your Alperin Shingoon, you know, whichever one of these young guys, like, that's what we're going to be looking for now. Every game growth in terms of maturity both on and off the court how you're handling yourself how you're handling your team on the sideline during a timeout how you're handling yourself your team in a locker room that's what we're going to be looking for that's the mission to me um why jeff green was brought in maybe as an additive why a guy like reggie bullock is brought in too you might be able to use him a little bit more uh than you could the likes of a jeff green but certainly it's to kind of scout find and uh, nurture um you know those the, the leadership qualities already innately uh, in some of these guys. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Shangoon. I, I I didn't say anything about him, but you talk about somebody that looks a lot better on defense and the way they're using him on defense is a totally different 180 from what Silas was doing with him. but he just looks like he knows where to go and he knows what to do. And yeah. he cares about defense. And if, if you get Shangoon, to buy in, which I think he's a guy that would love to buy in. He's he he yeah. he loves playing back. It's obvious that guy loves it. I, I think I think it was such a disservice, you know, last year. Um I, I we need to officially throw that crap away. Just kind of like we need to throw the past away with the Texans. Um Shingoon, if you take anything away from his time as a rocket so far, it's that that dude loves basketball man and knows where he's supposed to be on a basketball court and if he a, doesn't know where to be then he's fine if you tell him where to be just yes be a good and, coach. and that's that's kind of what i'm getting to it's he needed a leader man and he needed the motivation and he needed to know that we want to win you know guys need that like the the fact that that organization now has turned the page and they're serious about what they want to accomplish as a team on the court night in and night out and they're learning it's a process but it comes automatically with the guy with a resume like Ime Odoka and this coaching staff like there are demands in place they're going to be held accountable and Alperin I, th- I feel like he's one of those guys that was just waiting to be coached you know waiting for the hard stuff and I think the guy's going to flourish in it. 
If you need some Astros content, we're doing live Astros post games. Me and Sean, we're not going to talk about it right now because I want you to go back and listen to me and Steven yesterday after game four, our live Astros post game. We're going to be back on Sunday, another crazy Sunday with the Texans live post game after the Texans game. And then me and Steven come back later that night with the Astros and the Rangers. Oh, my goodness. I-45 series. Can't wait for that. Uh, Should be a fun times 10 Sunday for Houston sports fans. Hopefully it won't be two losses like it was this past Sunday. Please. I don't need two more losses on a Sunday, but uh, Hey, Sean, thanks so much for doing this. And I guess I'll see you in the next uh, couple of days. We'll do it again. Got it. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. You're listening to Houston sports talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.